0: this other time I was like, making out this one guy and like my hip dislocated. And I was like, you know, sitting on top of him, fully clothed and everything very PG, just a normal kiss and my hip dislocates. Mm-hmm. And this guy's like, literally paralyzed, he does not know what to do. And I'm like, oh my God. sitting there crying. I'm like, in so much pain. Yeah. Ah. And I'm just like, what? like what are you like you're not gonna get me an ice pack you're not gonna get me water my medicine like nothing and he's just like I'm gonna go and literally leaves so I know now if something happens with my health and somebody's just like getting out of there good bye see you never that's a no for me
1: Hello, welcome back for another episode of interstates and heartbreak. I am really excited about today's guest. She is an amazing Gen Z influencer who talks about really important topics. I feel like we had a pretty important discussion today around what it's like to date with chronic illness. Her name is Gigi Robinson. And as a testament to how excited I was to record with her, I Actually, recorded despite the fact that I was diagnosed positive with COVID yesterday. First time. So I'm part of the club, not a club that I wanted to be in, but here we are. And she's so incredible and so busy that I was just like, this is your moment. And who knows when I can get on her schedule again. So we're going to push through and hopefully I don't sound too congested. I feel like I held it together pretty well during the interview. And then like immediately had a coughing fit after I finished recording with her. So yeah, hopefully you can, you know, forgive any congestion and it's not too detectable. And also as a disclaimer, I have to say this, we recorded virtually. So it wasn't like we were in the same room and I was exposing somebody else. I'm alone in my one bedroom, just me, myself and I. So, one thing that I wanted to touch on in this intro was a story that I was reminded of when Gigi was kind of going through her journey. And at one point, she talks about just having the confidence to say no to people who you aren't interested in. And I feel like this is something that can be difficult for women to do. Speaking for myself personally, I know there's definitely been times in the past where I've given out my number to people who I know I don't want to see again just because I'm like, well, it's less awkward this way. I don't know. I don't even necessarily really give it that much thought in the moment because you have to make a snap reaction. But yeah, I've given out my number to these people. And it's always the people you meet out who you don't want to hear from who get back to you. Has anyone else noticed that? Like the guys who you meet out who get your number who you're like, oh, I was actually vibing with this person. They were cute. I would love to go on a date with them. They almost never text back. It's so interesting. And I wanted to share this one story as inspiration to anyone else who struggles with this as kind of like a cautionary tale for why you should never give out your number if you are sure that you're not interested in someone. Disclaimer, if you have listened to the early episodes of the podcast, I've already told this story. But when I say early, I'm pretty sure I told it on the first episode, which if you haven't listened to it, will always go down in history as one of my absolute favorites fantastic. It's called Interstates and Tinder Dates. Anyway, I'll give the story briefly. So this story takes place in 2019. So I was out one night and I met this guy. He came up to me while I was eating dinner by myself and asked me how the food I was eating was. I thought that he was genuinely interested. And so I gave like a heartfelt answer. And then he was like, oh, like I actually didn't care about the food. I just wanted to talk to you. And he just wasn't my type very nice guy, but I just wasn't interested. And when he asked for my number at the end of the exchange, I gave it to him. I was like, okay, it's fine. You know, you don't need to answer if he calls. That's kind of fucked up, but it's not like really ghosting. It's like, we don't even know each other at this point. We've talked for three minutes, maybe. So that was my plan. Then fast forward to the following week. And I was actually off work at this point. And so I was in between jobs. So I had a whole week. I was trying to like bang out all of these errands, all of these appointments. And so normally I am smart enough to not answer random numbers that are unlisted or unsaved in my contact. But because I was scheduling all these appointments, I was like, oh, this could be so-and-so calling me back to confirm this detail. So I answered the call and it was like 930. I don't know which day, but it was like a weekday. Obviously, this guy doesn't know what I'm doing, but I just feel like it's kind of a bold choice to call someone in the morning on a work day. And actually, maybe that was his strategy. Maybe he was like, she's not going to answer so I can just leave her a voicemail. And that was the move he was going for. But it backfired for both of us. I answered. I had to talk to him on the phone for like six or seven minutes before it felt not awkward to get him off the phone. That was that. And then I don't even think we texted again, he might have been like, let me know when you're free. And I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I didn't text him. And he didn't text me. Then fast forward a couple more days, I went down to San Diego for a weekend. And this was in the earliest stages of me dating my ex. We were not exclusive yet. So it wasn't shady for me to give this guy my number, we were still figuring things out. But I was staying with him because you know, it's like he lived in a different city. So whenever we wanted to spend time together, one of us had to come up and stay with the other. So I was staying with him. And my mom like had texted me or called me once or twice. But you know, it's like the honeymoon period. I didn't see this person very often. So I was kind of like unresponsive. Like I just wasn't on my phone at all. And I wasn't texting her back either. My mom spirals, she freaks out. And she calls Verizon. And she's like, I haven't heard from my daughter in, I don't even know, maybe like 20 hours or something. And I just I don't even know what she said. But essentially, what happened is they gave her the phone number of the last person I'd spoken on the phone with. Guess who it was? It was that random guy who I gave my number to. So she called him and left a voicemail being like, do you know where my daughter is? And he didn't respond, which honestly like rude, I could have been murdered. And now you're a suspect. So you should try to respond. But oh, my God, how mortifying. So that's obviously the worst case scenario. But just learn from my mistakes. And don't do that take a page out of Gigi's book and really muster up the confidence to advocate for yourself and to say no when it's appropriate. That's all I have to say. And with that, I will transition over to the interview with Gigi. I am so excited to introduce this week's guest on Interstates and Heartbreak. I am so honored to have Gigi Robinson. She's a Gen Z influencer who raises awareness around body confidence, chronic illness, and mental health, and so much more, which I can't wait to dive into with her. And just have to address off the top. We've already kind of gone through our whole UCLA USC school rivalry. We have decided to move past it because she's just so amazing. So, Gigi, welcome to the podcast. Hi,
0: welcome to the show. Yes, I don't know if I think maybe it was we were talking about this, but like people make this USC UCLA thing, like literally like end all be all. And like, you do not like them. And I'm like, that is so stupid. Like, why don't we just be friends? Like, it's just a game. But also maybe I I, I'm i not as passionate about like the, the, the history of the sport and the school rivalry when it comes to that. But no, I, I think it's amazing. But yeah, I'm doing well. I'm here in Los Angeles for a week and a half and it has been a whirlwind and I've only been here for two days so far so oh
1: my gosh
0: yeah holy cow holy cow
1: <laughs> yeah so before we hit record, Gigi and I were just talking about her schedule for the past couple days for the upcoming few days and I just have to say you are one of the busiest people I have ever met and I would love to hear how do you balance it all how did you kind of like start this journey of being a public figure and being so influential in all of these different spaces to talk about such like deep issues. Yeah,
0: well, thank you so much for like those kind words. My schedule is crazy. And I feel like what I'm about to say, like, is kind of a little bit, like, unhinged. But I kind of like, like being all over the place and having a lot of different things that I'm doing in different sectors of my life. Because it like, takes the distraction away from dealing with my chronic illness. And the medicine that I take gives me the ability to do things to keep my mind off of the pain that I experience. It's kind of like a bandaid that like goes over my whole body internally. So that is one thing. And two, I just work really well doing small things like or not small, but like attending an event for an hour, two hours, and then going home and making content about it while I eat and then doing homework after that. So like, I do time block, but like, not as big of time uh, blocks as I would say, like somebody in a nine to five might do. Mm. So yeah, managing it's hard, though. I do have an assistant, she's awesome. And she helps me organize and coordinate my Google Calendar for Events, my Google Calendar for school, and then my Apple calendars and my Outlook calendars. So that's four event calendars that she basically works on. Oh, yeah. And that includes like podcasts, events att- I attend, when I should order food or eat food, mm-hmm. going for walks, therapy, doctor's appointments. And I get really, really in a not good state of mind when I have to focus on my health mm-hmm. because it is so traumatic. But at the same time, I think when I do have those moments of like peace and silence and those breaks, it actually gives me perspective on patient advocacy even further. But sometimes I feel like I just want to run away as far as I can. And that's why I do what I do and how I'm able to do it, I guess.
1: Wow. Your assistant sounds like a wizard. Like what an absolute gem to help you with all of that. Yeah. (laughs) And backing up a little bit, well, first I just wanted to say the analogy that you used for your medication being a band-aid that covers your whole body internally—I love that so much—and I would love to hear you talk a little bit about what your chronic illness is and how you've dealt with it over the years, and just your journey kind of coming to terms with that.
0: Yeah, so my chronic condition, or the one that affects me the most, is called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and it gives me chronic fatigue, joint pain you know, brain fog, chronic migraine, sometimes even like, there's days where like, I can't do anything and I have to sit in bed. But if I'm doing all of these virtual things, that's where I think accessibility in a COVID world is amazing for people who are sick, because they can actually get shit done while they're feeling like shit. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I was diagnosed with EDS at age 11 and growing up i didn't necessarily want to confront the fact that i was sick because i just didn't want to be an outcast i mean i think that's something a lot of people deal with especially in like a very ableist society even though we don't want to admit that it's like ableist it just it inherently is and growing up that way was really challenging and i honestly you know, would kind of like lie a little, like tell these white lies to friends when they're like, oh, do you want to hang out? I would be like, oh, I am going to lunch with my mom mm-hmm. or like I'm going out to do something with my dad or brother. And I was really going to physical therapy and doctor's appointments. And I honestly, in the past month have really only had these realizations of like, wow, that's why I was shy. I was hiding a piece of my identity. I was coping by pretending to fit in even when I was ignoring a huge thing that like shapes who I am. Yeah. So then I basically get to college. I went to FIT for a year and I dealt with a lot of binge eating and depression. And I was like, I need to get out of here. So I basically applied to USC. I got in, I transferred to USC from FIT the rest is kind of history. But unfortunately, while I was there, some of my teachers didn't believe that I was sick. Oh, wow. And it was like, just because I look okay, doesn't mean that I am. This goes for mental health conditions, too. Yeah. And it was so incredibly hard. I was so disrespected. I felt humiliated. I mean, I had a couple of times that I had these teachers call me out in front of the entire classroom. Oh. And it's like, that's just not okay. And when I tried to address it, I was kind of dismissed. So instead I decided, well, I have social media on my side. Let me just start posting about what I'm going through and my patient experience. And that's literally where I saw the traction. Mm. So I think honestly, it, it really took all of that happening and the worst burnout I ever had. I mean, to the point where like I was in the doctor's hospital three times a week, four times a week. Oh my gosh. With all these appointments realizing like, hi, you need to deal with this, you need to accept it, you need to kind of get over the fact that this is something that does affect you. And you can't just pretend that it's not there because it's invisible. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, once I did that, that was really not only a defining moment for me, but it was also the moment where I realized I could step into storytelling. And really tell the story of so many people going through the same thing, as well as being an artist, being able to capture and make images and videos of this experience of like the grief of going through and hiding something and feeling uncomfortable because you feel like you're different or also just like being in pain all the time and looking okay, but you're really sick and you've been sick for years and there's no cure for your condition. so. I feel like I've totally been blabbing and you guys probably get the point now, but that is how I fell into it. And the realization really didn't come until, you know, I was 20 or 21. It, it took a decade for me mm-hmm. and I was diagnosed at age 10. So, and everyone's, you know, story is different with diagnosis, but like, it's made it so much more real. I think when I, when I got pushback from other people, it really took me being fed up with other people's opinions of me. Mm-hmm to kind of break that. And I know later we'll talk about confidence and self-worth, but that definitely did play a role in it too.
1: Thank you for sharing that story because Mm -hmm. I really can only imagine that like dealing with that news when you are so young and also when there's not really any visibility or discourse around what it's like to live with chronic illness and what it's like for people who are living with chronic illness that isn't necessarily detectable to other people. I can only imagine how much you had to kind of like forge that path and how difficult it was. And I love the fact that you took the negatives of your experience to kind of flip them into a positive and an outlet for sharing so that other people can kind of learn from what you had to go through.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that is what I've basically done and created a career around, but at the same time, like I think, there can sometimes be pushback when people are like, oh, what if it's toxic positivity, or like, you can't just change your diet and make things feel better. And unfortunately, socioeconomics pose a huge barrier when it comes to dealing with health conditions like this.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And in general, so it can be very challenging, especially when you want to help so many people, and they're in a position where like, they can't even do that. But What I try to do is create dialogues and like kind of like templates of like Mm -hmm. how one would address a situation as such. So no matter where they are, they can apply it basically. Yeah. And obviously, I'm not saying like, be positive in a shitty situation. It's finding the silver lining, no matter when and where. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: That makes total sense. You have to make the most out of your situation, especially when you're talking about something chronic because you can't just be negative for your entire life. Like that's no way to live. You're not going to have a productive life. You're going to be extremely unhappy. And that's not to say you can't acknowledge that the situation is shitty sometimes. Of course it is.
0: Right. And I feel like people don't fully know what a chronic illness is also. I mean, people get questions on like, what does that mean? And I think also like with the whole situation with COVID happening and long COVID, especially like people are actually, and when I say people, I mean, regular able-bodied people that don't have health issues are unfortunately, finally dealing with things that we deal with daily. And like the whole situation with accommodations just being made on the drop of a dime, For the entire world, when people who are disabled and chronically ill have been asking for them for years. I mean, if I had the ability to do homework or class remotely, wherever I could during college, it would have saved me probably from the burnout I experienced. Yeah. So that's one example of an accommodation that I don't think should be taken away. And what's actually happening, especially in education and in the workplace, is they're taking away these incredible accommodations. And it's my job now to step in and say, hi, universities, like go up to the university's policy and help them and advise them on changing it and saying, look, this is not okay because of X, Y, and Z, or this is the reason why you need to keep this so that your students have the best student experience so that your reputation Stays where it wants to be, right? Like you kind of have to pose it that way or else they won't. Because at the end of the day, corporations, institutions, academic institutions are there to make money. They're there to educate Mm -hmm. us and to employ us. At the end of the day, we're making them money. And if we're paying into that, we might as well get the best experience out of it. So, how can we really change that from the inside out? And my way of doing that again is through art, storytelling, and speaking.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really important to make sure that we continue to advocate for this even if things start to kind of return to normal. I say that with like a huge grain of salt because people are obviously still catching covid, myself included, but
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's something again, unfortunately, not as many people have thought of when it comes to accessibility, and I know we've been talking a lot about that in the past 2 years and what that really means, but I think if we don't get with the program and we don't start accommodating people the way that they need to be accommodated when it comes to academic or workplace settings, there are going to be problems for those industries, especially when, at least with hybrid work, like remote jobs and Mm -hmm. gigs and being influencers or content creators is becoming so much more popular because people realize I'm fed up with working all of these hours and not having the flexibility I want. Let me just be my own boss. And I think actually Mm -hmm. on top of that, part of the problem is people are going to create burnout for themselves quickly because they dive kind of into uncharted waters. So it's definitely complicated. And I think like psychologists and mental health professionals right now are kind of having a field day with it. My therapist included for sure.
1: (laughs) Yes, like it's totally uncharted. And it's such an interesting challenge, but like such an important one for people to take on. So obviously, through your career, you're so open about the fact that you have chronic illness and what that means. And I feel like it puts you in a really unique scenario when it comes to dating, because whenever you're in the early phases of dating, there's a question around like, how soon should you share some of these more intimate or personal or sensitive details, like chronic illness being a prime example. And I could see like two arguments, like on one hand, someone kind of needs to prove that they're worth pursuing something with before maybe you open yourself up and be vulnerable. Or on the flip side, you could say like, Oh, well, I don't know if this person is worth pursuing something with until I see how they react to this. So it's kind of like chicken and egg. So for you personally, when do you feel comfortable sharing details around your chronic illness? And has that kind of changed as you've dated over the years?
0: Yeah, this is Definitely a fan favorite (laughs) question and answer of mine when it comes to chicken and egg. It is very challenging. And I think for so long, again, like in the past, I always withheld because I was like, I don't want anything to seem wrong. This could be the thing that makes or breaks it. And it's true. I mean, this comes with any kind of condition, whether this is mental health, whether maybe you have a weird rash on your belly button or maybe whether Mm -hmm. you are chronically, you know, sick, or maybe you have issues with eating, right? I mean, all of these are very personal, intimate things. I feel like it just depends how much you care about it, and what Mm -hmm. it means to you and what kind of boundary you have around it. So if you are a person that genuinely, like, doesn't really give a fuck what other people think, like, then maybe you say it right up front. Maybe you're a person who, again, like you want to know that somebody's going to fucking rub your feet and bring you strawberry milkshakes when you are lying in bed fatigued and can't move and also go hiking with you and to crazy influencer events, you know, when you can move. Mm -hmm. And both of those can live together on the same domain, I think. It's just different ends of it. So. Mm -hmm. In the past, I have done both. I've withheld and I've said it up front. To be honest with you, Mm -hmm. it didn't really matter. It was kind of about the prolonged action of the person just being there Mm -hmm. and experiencing me for me. So over time, people can sense your tendencies. It's also kind of hard when you're taking medication and you are like literally slugging down dozens of pills a day, you know? So at some point, someone's gonna be like, what are those for
1: yeah questions are gonna arise yeah like are those just
0: supplements like what are you doing and <laughs> yeah I think it is up to the person but I personally think it's better to get it out of the way with in the beginning because like literally I've had people be like oh like best of luck or like I hope you feel better or like this one guy wait I've never told this story before
1: oh my gosh can exclusive. I tell this story
0: yeah yes, this is so I was on Hinge like a couple of months ago. I think it was like in January, and it was really cold in New York City, and like I didn't have anything to do, so I'm like staying up late swiping so on Hinge. There's so this is, like super cute guy. I'm like talking to him. We get to talking. I'm like, oh, like yeah, blah blah blah. I'm like sick in bed, whatever. He's like, you should look into the Church of like Science. And I was like, what the fuck? Are, what the fuck what? are you talking about, bro? No. He's like, my mom healed from her cancer from like the practices of the church of science and we're not even texting at this point we're voice noting and I'm like fully engaged and I'm like I need to legit hear what this man has to say and he's like I'll send you a copy of the book it's really interesting like you must love to read right and I'm like oh my god
1: what is going on so this man is really trying to convert people on hinge yeah so I'm like is
0: this Scientology like are you trying to get me into the Scientology? Because I don't want to be in the Scientology. (laughs) Like not that he's like, no, no, no. It's the church of science. It's different. And I'm like, oh my Lord. So anyway, (laughs) he was cute up until that point. And I really liked him up until that point, but he made it weird. I mean, maybe if there was more context, he was just like straight off that. And you know what? For him sharing that, Wasn't necessarily about attention. I think it was about gauging whether people are okay with it or interested me. And I think that that, in one way or another, was a good thing because I don't want to go out with someone and then all of a sudden it's like you're dating and you realize that they've been grooming you the whole time. Kind of crazy. So, (laughs) worst case scenario. Yeah. So, I am going to put my foot down and say I would share it up front for the reason of just getting through it and
1: getting away from it. If it's bad. I love that because I do feel like, yes, there's something to be said about like waiting until someone knows you a little bit and like might have a little more empathy, whatever. But I still feel like you can have empathy, even if you don't know someone. And so if someone's going to react negatively, it's like, why bother getting invested only to realize like, oh, this person isn't a good fit. They're not going to be Like the support that I need, they're not understanding, they're not willing to learn. Like, whatever it is, if that's the case, at least you can cut your losses early.
0: Yeah. And it's also about knowing, like, not only your boundaries, but what kind of reactions you're okay with. Because sometimes, like, I think you can say you have a boundary that you don't tolerate something, but it's not even about the boundary. It's about the reaction that somebody gets Mm -hmm. when you tell them or you do certain things. And I think that that is just imperative to nail down. And you might ask like, Oh, well, how do you do that? Right? You kind of have to experience a couple of bad things before you go are able, or not bad things, but experience things that you're not okay with for you to understand what you can and can't tolerate in the future.
1: I fully agree with that. And I feel like that can apply to anything in dating and like, Absolutely. I will like get down on myself sometimes about like, oh, I dated this guy for so long and it was like a bad relationship. And I really have to actively remind myself like that was a learning experience. And now I know specific things that I like don't want in a partner and conversely things that I need in a partner that maybe I wasn't getting from that person. So yeah, I agree. That's a huge learning opportunity and it kind of sucks to have to go through it, but you know, you come out better for it on the other side.
0: Exactly. I couldn't have said it any better.
1: <laughs> so, I guess, like, in addition to the Church of Science response, like, what other types of responses have you gotten? Like, in terms of the ones that are, okay, here's a non example of how to react. And then on the flip side, like, what are some ways that guys have responded that have actually been really thoughtful and like ideal?
0: Yeah, I would definitely go with, unfortunately, there are many more responses that I do not like and that I'm not okay with than responses that I do like hence why I'm still very very single Mm -hmm. and have been for the past three years so Mm -hmm. I've gotten like oh well feel better or I hope you're okay or that is so wild yeah or like I wish you the best of luck I mean that's probably one of the worst ones I've gotten or like I've told them about my chronic illness and it's just been like ghosts like and like straight up like no response at all Oh my God. Yes, I have a chronic illness, but that doesn't mean like I'm not interesting or that I don't do things. It's like so multifaceted. Like it's not like the thing that defines me, it's a part of me. Yeah. And again, like it goes back to like, is somebody going to like me despite this one thing that I deal with? It's weird. Guys' reactions are really weird. I also will say, I think that one of the strangest things that Guys can do is like question your chronic illness, like mm. to your face, or be like, "Yeah, oh, like, are you sure you don't want to like get that like checked out?" Or like, "What are you sure you're okay?" Or like, whatever. Like, and this other time, I was like making out with this one guy, and like my hip dislocated, and I was like, you know, sitting on top of him, fully clothed and everything. I'm setting the setting completely backwards, you guys. We were. <laughs> Doing a dine in date with takeout food, and we were on the couch afterwards, fully clothed, very PG, just a normal kiss. And my hip dislocates, Mm -hmm. and this guy's like literally paralyzed. He does not know what to do. And I'm like, oh my God, sitting there crying. I'm like, in so much pain. Yeah, fuck. And I'm just like, what? Like, what are you like? You're not going to get me an ice pack. You're not going to get me water. My medicine, like nothing. And he's just like, I'm going to go and literally leaves. And like, that was like a shitty situation. And in that instance, I was like really upset. So I know now if something happens with my health and somebody's just like getting out of there, good. Bye. See you never. That's a no for me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely challenging a lot of the time, it won't even make it to an in person interaction. And I kind of like that, because when people text, like, they're sometimes more blunt, and like, not as wishy washy as they can be in person and dodgy in a way. So if you get the answers out of them that are bad, before you dodged a bullet, versus like, if you're in person, and you know, maybe you hit it off, but it's one thing and you're like, Oh, but there's so many other good things about them, I really vibe with them. Like, we have the same energy, whatever. But then they like mentioned something about your body or like asked you a weird question about your illness, like, and it was in person, there's so many more variables that do make it more personable. So Mm -hmm. let's take it to like the next level of we go in person, we do really like somebody. So you're having a good time. And maybe they say something and they're like, Oh, like, how are you feeling? Or like, is there anything I can do? Or for me I need to like take breaks a lot so I'll actually say like oh like would you mind if we like you know took a break from walking and just like sat on a bench for a little and talked and like that's like a perfect thing where they're like yeah no problem their accommodations to you should not feel like a burden it should be like a collective experience where they're being there with you and like enjoying it i went on a date with this one guy and i actually had forgotten to take my medicine and I didn't remember until it was like past the time that my alarm goes off to take my medicine. And I was like, oh my God, wait, like I'm actually in so much pain as do you with like Advil or anything that I could have? And he's like, yeah, sure. Like let, here, let me get it for you. Goes, gets it, gets the water. It's like, sit down, like take your shoes off. Like, let's just like chill. And it's like, that is like a great, moment for me where I'm like, somebody doesn't really care about the fact that I'm in pain. In fact, they want to help me out. And they're not like judging about it either. And I'm like, literally, this moment was crazy, because I had taken the Advil. And for the first time in my life, I was like, wait, this is what Advil does. Because I live in a state of chronic pain with my body. So Advil's never worked. And doctors were like, why doesn't Advil work? But it's because I have Mm. so many sensors going off in my body to my brain telling me I'm in pain all the time. Mm. Also, being very busy and chaotic probably induces a lot of fight or flight, causing a lot of these pain reactions. However, we can't even prove that because pain is perceptional, it's very individual. Again, totally tangenting, and I apologize. My point here is this guy was totally cool with me talking about. This whole concept of my pain and the fact that Advil worked for me for the first time and was actually actively like, whoa, Uh that's crazy. And I think another thing is like, Mm -hmm. you can ask questions, but don't ask questions to the point where it's like you're being interviewed. Like, have a conversation about it. And also, you can let it naturally come up. Again, I personally bring conversations like this up towards the beginning of a relationship or date or not, not date, but like whatever a date ship, a courtship, if you will, in Bridgerton language. Yeah. Yeah. Courtship. I love that because it's worth it to see what they'll do up front. And also at this point, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm about to be 24 in May. And if they're going to be good and be up on my level, and if they're confident, they're going to want to take care of me and they're going to want to step up. And to me, like, that's amazing. Like, I think I'm a big acts of service girl, especially considering I do so much for myself. So when somebody goes out of their way to, again, court or like do something really kind, I'm a huge, huge proponent in that. So that's my response all over the place. I hope it was interesting.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I love that you brought up the balance of asking questions because I feel like There are probably people out there who are like, I'm interested in hearing about this, but I don't want to like ask too many questions because like, I don't want to pry. I don't want to seem like I'm nosy. So I think that's the perfect way to articulate it is like, if you feel like you're interviewing the person and it's probably too much and like, just let it flow naturally. Like you're on a date, like don't let it get to a point where it's like a rapid fire Q&A.
0: Yeah. And also, I think it's like if you're good at reading body language, you can kind of tell like, is somebody actively listening? Are they asking you a question based off your first question? Are they changing the subject completely? Are they looking at their phone? Are they looking at the sky? Are they open to listening or are they kind of like sulking? Like, if you can pick up on those cues, it can make a date or a conversation much easier because it just can tell you things. It's a language. And on top of that, I think yeah. it's also I know we we talked about this briefly before, but like the way that like guys will also sometimes be like, oh, like you're sick. Oh, I know my friend Bob is sick and he deals with the same thing. And it's like, I think that that's OK to bring other people into the conversation. But at the same time, I think that the reason they do that is because they Want to make you think that they understand what you're going through when in reality they don't at all. So if that happens, like it's not necessarily a red flag because it shows that they are trying to care. It just shows that their like intellectual ability is not where it needs to be. And that's a no for me, dog.
1: Yeah, it's like EQ is a real thing. And like you talking about how you need to pick up on body language, like the amount of people who are dating and I can only really speak to men, right? Cuz like I yeah, I go on too. dates with the guys. But I feel like the amount of men who don't pick up on body language and that kind of thing, it is wild. Like I feel like that's why so many guys try to like make a move at the end of a date and be like this was so great when the girl is like no it wasn't. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like the whole trauma bonding thing that's huge because I do feel like it's kind of an attempt at empathy, so I would like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I really it just like reminds me of people who kind of have to turn the conversation back to them to be like, "Oh, well this relates to me because blah blah blah." So even if the intent is positive, the actual impact is not because it's really not like focusing on the person who's sharing something really personal with you. It's just kind of like shifting it to make the discussion all about you or your friend or whoever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also at the same time, it's like, are you okay with that? Because sometimes people do turn things on themselves and it's actually interesting and the conversation just flows and it's like, it can happen obviously, but like, is every date like this, right? We're talking multiple dates. We're not talking
1: just the first date. So I think that that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of going into self-worth, I feel like, you know, you've touched upon the fact that you have received some insensitive or discouraging reactions in response to sharing your chronic illness. How do you prevent yourself from kind of like getting down and internalizing your self-worth rather than letting it be determined by these external factors and other people?
0: Yeah, great question. I think one of the first things it's taken a long time to do But a lot of times I feel like there's this kind of idea from the outside that, uh, you know, you go to all my bios, you see that I am a chronic illness advocate, a mental health advocate, a body confidence advocate, and you don't think about the journey to getting here today. I've been living with this chronic illness for my whole life, but diagnosed for over a decade, dealing with it for over a decade. So when, when people talk to me about confidence, I think about my decade of inconfidence and the lack thereof. And how over the past three years, I've had to step into myself. And again, really, it came with, like, really finding out my identities and embracing them. And once I did that, I was able to talk more freely, because I didn't feel like I had to tiptoe or talk around certain things. And that was really, really helpful. I do think confidence can be a game of fake it till you make it. But at the same time, I don't fully believe in fake it till you make it because I just believe in making it happen. I don't think that you have to fake who you are. I think you just need to be yourself. And you know what, you can test something out. And if you really step it up, and you like, go out there, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what I did in high school is I was in a high school theater program. I can sing, I can dance. I love it. I love show tunes. Mm -hmm. And so when I did it, it was fun. And I was in the ensemble and then I got a supporting lead and then I got the lead. And it's like, if you're not necessarily the best singer and you still have the lead, you could sing the wrong lyrics, but if you did it with confidence, you can make the audience still believe that you sing every word, right? So doing that like is like you can't go back and fake that you just got to do it and you just have to be confident and confidence is so individual and unique and it's tailored to every single person like you create your own sense of confidence it's about what you're okay with and how you talk to people and it's also about body language and it's about reading the room and it's really about like talking to yourself every single day like in the mirror like at home I'm not at home right now but if I were to be interviewing and podcasting from home I have literally mirrors all over my room and part of that's because I like to train myself on like how do I feel best when I'm on a Zoom call mm-hmm. how do I present best when I'm doing a lecture for high school students or for corporations how do I look best when I am getting ready to film for a video, right? Like, just smiling a certain way feel better to me. And that's really something that only I can determine. I can get all the weird comments in the world. But if I feel good about it, then it's all good. So I definitely do that as well. And I just started doing it. There, there wasn't really any defining moment. I just kind of decided like, why the fuck not? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I think it's also again like back to the testing thing you can test different things out with like different people and you can like take everything as a social experiment in a lot of ways like the other day I was at an event and I was just going up to you leaving like, hi how are you I'm Gigi so nice to meet you and it's like if you were like just come up and you have your arms crossed and you're like standing in the corner and you're waiting for someone to approach you First of all, no one's going to want to approach you because they're like, what the heck is this person doing in the corner? No. Second of all, if you go over and you kind of lurk and you're like waiting to talk to somebody and you don't make your move, like they're going to be off put and they're going to think you want something. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But if you go over and you handle it with confidence and you're like, hi, I absolutely loved what you talked about tonight because of blah, blah, blah thing that you said. It really stood out to me. It reminded me of some other work in the industry, or you could flip it back on yourself and say it reminded me of the project I've done. By the way, this is what I do full time. And I would love to support any work that you're doing. And it's like, boom, there's your intro right there. And it comes with the delivery. And it does take time and practice as well. So again, decades of work, it might sound like it's easy. And like that conversation I just had and replayed in my head, right? Like, it sounds like, oh, that's so seamless, right? Decades, you guys, or decade. I don't wanna say decades because I am merely two decades old, but <laughs> alas.
1: But still, that is many years. And I love what you said about kind of like knowing, you know, just having the mirrors, like being comfortable seeing yourself at different angles. I just got a second mirror in my bedroom mm. next to my bed, and it is amazing. And also, I'll never forget, like when I was in fifth grade, I had this teacher who honestly was like kind of a nightmare. But the one great thing that she did, she made us do these like speeches every month, and she would record them. And I feel like a lot of people don't have that experience until they're an adult. And so it's like very easy to generate a fear of public speaking. But I was able to like my 10 year old self look and be like, Oh, wow, like that's horrible body language, I need to improve x, y and z thing. And so I was able to kind of like, address it and get comfortable with it at an early age. But it's like never too late to make that shift in your life.
0: Wow. Yeah. And also back to just like with mirrors and making that shift. And like, I saw this one video on like TikTok or reels or something like that. And it was actually Dua Lipa at a photo shoot. And it just made me even more confident. But the photographer goes, what angle do you prefer? Like what side? And she goes, I like all of them. Wow, that is empowering. Yeah, do I still like the left side of my face a little more than the right side when I am slightly more like tilted? Sure, I'm always gonna up for that side. But if there is a photo of me from the other side, am I gonna be upset or like not like it? No. And if you train yourself to accept yourself at all different angles, when you're photographed and documented and on calls, I think it's only gonna empower you more. Because it's something almost everyone's insecure about. And if you're able to just accept yourself fully, you're not going to have any problems.
1: It's so true. It's so true. And kind of going into like general body positivity, it's like, I just feel like no matter what I look like, how I've been eating, like my workout, I feel like there's always like a twinge of hesitation for me when I like put on a bathing suit. And literally no one is like ever filming me when I do it. Whereas on the flip side, you've had like the most high profile showcase of your body by like being filmed by Sports Illustrated for their 2022 swimsuit edition. So I know you like have to have some amazing tips for like getting out of your head, embracing your body, all of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you. Second of all, I think the whole thing of getting into my confidence also it's not just when I talk about mirrors. I'm not just talking about a mirror that goes on your bedside table. I'm talking about a full floor length mirror. And I literally when I'm home will put on one song a day, 2 to 5 minutes long, unless we're listening to Stairway to Heaven or like American Pie or something like that, like a crazy ass song, but I look in the mirror and I watch myself dance and I get comfortable with my body and how it looks and How I feel, and I look at my face when I move my body and see, like, what looks good? Like, do I feel good doing this? Even if I'm sitting down in a chair and like grooving, like, what feels good? And how do I look when I do it? And just being okay with how my mental state is when I move my body. So that's the first thing to body confidence. The second thing is with my chronic illness, I've had a very challenging time with exercise and a very interesting relationship, because every time I've tried to exercise since my diagnosis, I end up getting hurt. And I end up in a brace or needing physical therapy. And it just ends up being very frustrating. So because of that, I'm at terms with the fact that I'm likely never going to have a six pack of abs and a quote unquote, flat tummy. I mean, that's just not my body type. The other thing that I think we're starting to realize with science and biology nowadays is that there isn't one body type. Although the workout queens of the world have it all together, that in reality is not necessarily what health and fitness looks like for a majority of people. And that's due to quite a lot of things that's due to socioeconomics, that's due to lifestyle, that's due to your parents' upbringing, that's due to so much. Diet, I mean, the list goes on. And I think you have to do is kind of detach yourself from the stereotype and realize that like, you don't fall into it, period. Even if you love working out, you're still not going to ever look exactly like anyone else. So it's about detaching yourself from the norm, quote unquote. And I did that, honestly, probably around the same time I got really sick, just because it was like impossible to stay thin and to also be on this medication and all this stuff. So yeah, that was quite the issue. And then in terms of like channeling confidence for this SI thing, I... Don't know how to describe it, but like back in September, I felt so called to do it. Like, I felt an urge. I was like, Gigi, like, you need to do this, like, represent chronically ill people. And this story of like, you can look super sexy and feel like absolute shit, Mm -hmm. or it looks super sexy and you know what, have a a case of three dozen pills you got to take. So that's just the reality of it. And I basically had thought of my script all December for my video submission. And I went down to Florida in beginning of December for Miami Art Week. And I had filmed. I literally told my friend, I was like, Hi dude, I'm leaving from the cafe. I'm going to go do a photo shoot on the beach. I'll see you later. And like I left at three o'clock and I stayed at the beach until seven shooting. And it was literally just like I set my tripod up. And I just went out and I did my thing and I recorded the video. I did horizontal. I did vertical. I filmed a YouTube video. I shot photos. I shot Polaroids on self-timer. I mean, I was doing all of it. And something that came with that, that's a different kind of confidence, is being okay, not giving a fuck what other people looking at you are doing. Nobody else's opinion while I was doing that mattered to me other than I knew I was getting the shit that I need to get done, done. Yes. And again, was it easy being there alone, having to run back and forth in between my shots? Absolutely not. But did it work? Hell yeah, it did. Hell yeah, yes. And to justify the means. Yeah, exactly. And And on top of that, like after that, I had the vision in my head I shot the footage, I wrote the script, I did a voiceover and I recorded an intro and some additional footage. I submitted it and then I actually have never told this story, but I-
1: Another GG exclusive, I'm so honored.
0: Yes, I tagged MJ in a post on LinkedIn, fucking love LinkedIn, and I caught her by surprise. I mean, she's never been- tagged by somebody submitting a video and part of what I think was really interesting about it was the fact that I made it professional and I made it like a moment where it was like I can be an advocate and an influencer and talk about really intimate matters like chronic health conditions and trying to change that discourse from the inside out in academic and company settings but I can also be super sexy and you know, share that message with my bodies. And you know what? Since then, it's been really interesting because there's been a lot of pushback of like, oh, they're just trying to be woke. They're using you. This is embarrassing for you. All this stuff. Oh, wow. Those are, well, those are the trolls. Let me just clarify. So it doesn't really matter what they think. People from the community though, I mean, it's been an overwhelming sense of like, oh my God, this is amazing. Finally, we have this representation. We have this voice and it, it makes it all worth it for me. In terms of going out in front of the camera for them, I mean, again, once I got selected, like, it was kind of surreal. I knew that I was selected, like once I got the call, but like, literally being there shooting with them was like, this is a job like I am there. It's not just displaying my competence, but it's like, this is a job. And I'm still technically competing with 12 other girls to be on the cover and to win. So how am I going to do that best? And how can I be a happy, well-adjusted person that everyone enjoys to work with? And despite the rain, I mean, my shoe got rained out three times and I still made it positive. I also met my idol, Yusai, which was an insane full circle moment for me where like, since I was diagnosed, he became an idol. He was part of the reason why I loved photography and I followed him for years. And then to be on the other side of the camera was just like, holy shit, Gigi, like you fucking did what you said you would always do. And you're here with those people. And again, it sounds easy. It sounds like all of these moments that I'm talking about have like happened in a short amount of time, but it's been years in the making and it takes years to get there. And I think you really, it is one of those things where people say, if you believe in yourself, you can do anything. You can literally do anything if you just sit yourself down, you put your blinders on, you fucking grind it out. Don't give a shit what other people think, as long as you're not like being you know, a dick (laughs) and just like going for it and increasing your confidence. Like really it's subjective. It's about what you're comfortable with and how you feel when you do different things or how you feel when you interact with other people. It's honestly also about the reactions you get, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like how you act it's like your actions trigger a reaction, which in turn trigger more positive actions from you, hopefully. So if people say, oh my God, gorgeous on a photo shoot, it's like, yeah, yeah, keep doing that. You're going to keep doing that. If they say it's shit. It's going to be shit. If you're taking negative comments and you are like, you know what? Like I'm down, Like this is bad. Your energy gets low. You're going to go low. People aren't going to like it. People are going to remember you when you quit but if you keep going and everyone always says gee you're such a go-getter and i can choose to take that in a negative way cuz i feel like that's used in hustle culture where it's like you always just like are like going after whatever i think what it really is is like a moment that shows my like tenacity and my persistence and my ability to push through despite blah 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 and i think we all just need to keep on going If we have the means, you know?
1: Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, a theme of what you've been talking about is kind of like, you know, you shot your shot when you were submitting your SI application. Like, you talk about how you need to kind of just like go for it when you're networking and like reaching out to new people. Does this translate to you like shooting your shot with dating? Like, how are you when it comes to like approaching men in the wild, let's say?
0: Oh, yeah. It's definitely really interesting. I think. I have the ability to talk to pretty much anyone like I can hold conversations pretty well, and or read the situation very well. However, I can never really tell nowadays when somebody is like trying to like get it. And also like, I don't want a casual thing. So like, how do I know that somebody's approaching me and they want to just like spend time with me or get to know me when it's like how do you get to know somebody who like also i mean to dress the elephant in the room somebody who's a public figure who people know about right like like what do you want from me and like i over the past year or two have kind of like unfortunately developed that because some people have been like interested in only dating or like only doing content together. And it's also like you got to be careful with that because sometimes people do you use you especially when you're going to parties and events and you know you're networking. I mean, yes, it's amazing to have a best friend there and if that's your significant other or your partner, I think that would be incredible. I think that's the dream, right? However, it is very challenging to find. And I think in the beginning stages, like I haven't found it. So I'll let you know when I figure the code out and I crack the code. But for now, it's been really challenging to measure somebody's integrity before or in the very early stages of dating. And in the wild, again, I can talk to pretty much anybody and ask questions that make sense. I guess I kind of fish for certain answers. And also like another thing that I think is kind of interesting is to like, not talk about work. And for me, that's kind of hard, because my work is like my life. And it usually does inherently come up. However, if I do talk about my work, and I'm like, hey, Bob, like, and also, by the way, Bob is just the name that I use, like for just your anyone.
1: (laughs) Yes, generic
0: what do you do for work? And like, Bob's telling me all about work. It's like, oh, what do you do? And it's like, oh, I'm in social media. I like to see what their face is because sometimes their face will be slightly off-putting if they, I don't know, they're intimidated by it or they think it's weird or they they think it's a joke. Sometimes guys will laugh, be like, oh,
1: What? Like, that's crazy in today's day and age to like not take social media seriously as a career. I know. It's bizarre.
0: I know. I mean, maybe in 2020, it was still kind of like, oh, like, yeah, you're a social media manager. You work on a marketing team for influencers. But now it's like creator management team, talent management team, influencer marketing team, community growth management, social media team, working at a platform. I mean, it can mean so many things nowadays. But yeah, so in the wild, again, it's really figuring out how to measure someone's integrity and what answers and reactions you're okay with.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of nice because in the wild, you get that body language. So, like to your earlier point, it's like you can kind of see the micro reactions and tell, even if someone has a very measured response, you can still kind of glean something about like what their true intentions are, what their maybe misgivings are, or their like judgments are, just based on kind of like how that shifts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's also been some interesting situations. And I know I had mentioned something to you before about an in the wild moment that I had, where I um, was talking to somebody and they weren't my normal kind of dude that I'm into. And I mean, I know there's a lot of discussions about like types and whatnot, and like how to get out of like dating for your type. So I'm like, let me just like go for it. Like, why the heck not like whatever, like, not everybody's going to be like this perfect person in my mind. And hopefully I'm not a perfect person. Like I'm not like, hopefully I'm not that for somebody else. For the right person, yes, but not for everyone. And this guy is like talking to me and you're know we talking and they ask me, you know, like, oh, like, what are you drinking? And I also think that drinking is a really interesting thing to talk about because I actually don't drink. I have been sober for a year and a half at this point. And it's not because I ever had a problem. It was always about my health and how it made my body feel. And inherently, like, over time, it was the best decision I ever made, because I am able to gauge situations so much clearer and save myself a lot of headaches. So and heartbreak, yeah. literal
1: and figurative. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so there's that. And you know, I like to see what people say to that, especially when I tell them that like, Oh, yeah, it's like for my health, not for any other reason. And we keep talking. And He's like, oh, like, what do you do for work? I'm like, oh, I'm in social media. And there's a face that's like, oh, what, are you one of those blue check girls? And I'm like, <laughs> that's yeah. So cringy. And then it's like, what do you even say after that? Like he was like, oh, haha. And I said, oh, what are you, some investment banker that lives in Murray Hill? And this guy's like, how did you know? And I was like, only guys from Murray Hill would ask me that question.
1: <laughs>
0: Bye. <laughs> No, it was really funny. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, why are you on the Upper East Side anyway? Like, this is so far away. Like, why would you come uptown to go out? It's so weird. And I mean, I was just out with my girlfriend having a good time. And we get bombarded with these conversations. It's like, where did this come from? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, the only thing to do down there is like, go to a steakhouse and drink wine. Like, it's kind of chill. And I was like, oh, well, I think you're talking to the wrong person because I am vegan and I don't drink. And that led to a whole other series. He was like, oh, and then he like, had the audacity to ask for my number. This guy he's like, I want to see you again. I was like, sorry. No, oh my, my friend was like, giving your number. I was like, I'm sorry now. <laughs> and like, I think also being okay, rejecting people as shitty as that sounds is like, if you know that nothing's compatible, do not waste your fucking time. Like our time is the most precious thing. And I think being busy and having this busy schedule has taught me that like, if you want to see me, you have to prove to me, go out of your way, plan a date for me with me, make me aware of the situation, please a week before, or maybe a week's crazy, but three to five days before, follow up the night before. If we're having plans for the weekend, it needs to be before 5 p.m. on a Wednesday, because... Your girl is busy, and I don't make time for people that don't show effort in me or into me. And unfortunately, not a lot of those guys exist, at least the kind of guys that are on dating apps. And I just personally don't think that I'm going to really meet somebody in a compatible setting on a dating app. And that's not to say that it can't happen. I just have not had luck over the past, I don't know, five years. And it was not even useful to me in college because I'm not looking for a hookup. And I think being on dating apps is just code for I'm looking for a hookup. Obviously, the people that fall into relationships with their best friend, those are the exception to the rule, which is dating apps are not necessarily places where you're going to find a relationship. You could call it match, you could call it hinge, you could call it Raya, you could call it whatever the fuck you want. It's not going to change the fact that it's very challenging to find somebody compatible out there, especially in a world where they're just, just like a, a click away.
1: Yeah, it is very challenging. And I met my boyfriend on Hinge, but I'll be the first to admit that it's like, I went on so many dates before I met him. And like my first three boyfriends were all people I met in person. So for a while, I was like, maybe I will just never meet someone from the apps who like ends up being serious because there's a lot of incompatible people out there or people to your point who are just looking for something different.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's honestly just something that it's very, again, individual. You have to test things out. You have to try it. It may or may not work for you. Like on the apps, I paused my profiles because I'm just like, I don't even want to date. I don't have time to date right now. My life is chaotic. And the other part of it is just like, I'm fed up with it. I mean, I actually did try Raya for a month. and. I was kind of annoyed, that like, I had to pay for it. It was
1: really annoying. How much is it? It's 20 bucks a month. Mm. Oh, and that's like, you don't even get any perks. That's just to be on there. Yeah. And I was just
0: like, I got in, like, I have to pay for it to try. Like, but I feel like it's more of a social networking app, kind of like a dating app for friends to meet and collab and do work together, but like never actually do it. It's kind of like another like Kind of like yip yak maybe, but I don't know.
1: (laughs) Wow, TBT. Yeah,
0: definitely. So it wasn't my favorite. I did see some attractive men on there. Occasionally you'll see like celebrity status people on there. Apparently my friend saw like Charlie Puth on there the other night. I was like, okay, I want to go on a date with that man ASAP. But also my brother's name is Charlie. (laughs) You're like reactivate. It will never happen. I can never date a Charlie. But I love Charlie Puth and would go on a date with him. I have to admit. So anyway... Yeah, a lot. So Charlie, if you're listening, Charlie Puth, if you're listening. <laughs> oh my God, not my brother. No, my brother probably doesn't listen to any of the podcasts I'm on because why would he? He gets to he he gets to hear me talk all the time. But yeah. <laughs> Raya was a disappointment to me, in my
1: opinion. Do you remember what song you chose?
0: Yeah, of course. It's the same one I choose for everything which is Sympathy for the Devil by The Rolling Stones. Wow. Yeah, it's an intense song. It's a song about drugs and overdose, but that's not how I apply it to my life. I just love the song. I love The Rolling Stones. Like, I'm obsessed with them. They're my number one. And I think it's kind of a story about having sympathy for people going through something challenging. And, you know, the song starts with like, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and pain. And I think that that can mean a lot to a lot of people. So anyway, that's my anthem all wherever I go, whatever platform I'm on. And Raya, I had a lot of those dead conversations. Hi, how are you? You're gorgeous. You're beautiful. What do you do? It's like, bitch, come on. My Instagram is linked. Like at this point, we can stop pretending with the small talk on what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, how can we have a conversation briefly? And get on a FaceTime call and see if we have a fun conversation. And if we have a fun conversation, we could go on a date in person. And so on and so forth. To be honest with you, the pandemic was very challenging for me to even want to or put myself out there because I'm immunocompromised. So it was like very scary to me to want to go out on a date with a stranger who I didn't know if they were going out with other people or going to bars or Whatever, when I also lived at home with my parents. So there's like a number of things I think that contributed to it. But overall, I've not really been on an in person date, at least nothing serious, in the past three years since 2019.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a tough time to date. And like, particularly if you're dealing with a pandemic and being immunocompromised and not wanting to expose your family.
0: Yeah. It was very challenging. And that's another thing is like people. I think sometimes assume like the life of an influencer means that you have like so many riches all the time. But to be honest, I'm going through grad school, I'm paying for out of pocket by myself, and I'm running my business. So as I'm doing both of those things, I fortunately and I'm very grateful um, that I live at home with my parents. And again, that comes at a cost of not having as much privacy not be able to necessarily date without feeling like, let's say I am on a Zoom date, and I'm on the porch on a Zoom with a random dude, and my parents want to open the window.
1: Your parents are like, who's that?
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I can tell them about it, but it's also not really their business. I mean, what would they say if their parent was on the other side of the date, you know, watching or listening to them? So anyhow, I just think that's the modern world we live in. And As I grow and I grow my business and I finish grad school, things will be different. And that's the tea on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so much there. I mean, like dating while you're at home. I didn't have to do it for that long, but I did it for a period of time during the pandemic. Like so many people, I went back home for a period of time and it was like the challenge of like, oh, I'm like FaceTiming with my now boyfriend. It was like when we had just met and my mom would be like, oh, like, you're super smiley. Like, who were you on the phone with? And like, trying not to make it this big deal, because it was still early. Or like, if I went to see someone else, I don't know, it's just like having to deal with your parents expectations that you're like, still in high school. It's like, I'm a grown adult, but I can understand why you don't feel like I am because I'm living under your roof again.
0: Yeah, I love it. And I mean, it's like, it's also a moment where it's like, how much do we trust our parents and what's the relationship that we have to them in today's day and age And like how much information is too much information and what's the boundary with our parents on our dating life I mean I sometimes have a challenging time sharing things that are more intimate because I constantly feel like there's an expectation that I should have somebody by the time I'm you know 25 and I am like Hell no. I mean, my parents didn't get married until they were like 35 and 37. Like, give me a break. Like, it's like, why are you guys asking me about my dating life? And like, clearly, you guys waited a long time. And like, I mean, my brother has been in a four year relationship and he's 23. And it's like, okay, like, that was since you were 19. I've never been in like a long term committed, serious relationship. And I'm about to be 24. And I think that that should be normalized because I have so many girlfriends that also have never been in a long-term committed thing or are taking breaks and they've reevaluated and they're like, I don't want the casual thing anymore. I think society makes it seem like sad for women when they don't have these relationships early on. But at the same time, I think part of that is because women are like, also feeding into that narrative by being sad and not confident in being single. And I think if you are confident being single, and you're so happy with yourself, like, when the time presents itself in the right person, like, it'll just present itself on its own.
1: Yeah, I fully agree. And I was a late bloomer. I didn't have my first real relationship until I was 23. And it was something where like, there were periods of time for sure, where I was a little self conscious about it. Like I think particularly in high school, and that was more because I was like, I'm inexperienced, like I haven't had my first kiss. So like, does the fact that no one wants to be my boyfriend mean I'm undesirable? It's like you're dealing with so many self like confidence issues at that age, just in general. And then when you throw dating into it, it's like this whole other beast. But I will say I was able to kind of like really enjoy being single in college. And I didn't care about having a boyfriend then. Like, I don't know exactly why it shifted. But I think I was just like, Oh, I'm just supposed to have fun. Like most of my friends didn't have boyfriends. And so it wasn't even like there was that pressure of like, Oh, I'm missing out on this thing. Or like I did have one or two friends who had boyfriends. And it was like, "Uh, like, I don't know that I want that situation that they have. So it wasn't anything to be envious of, honestly.
0: Right, right, exactly. And also, like, I kind of think of like the different things that people in relationships like complain about. I will say I grew up in a Jewish household and I I just, I love my mom to death, but there is just something about a Jewish mom that they just don't fucking stop complaining. And that is probably, or was a toxic trait of mine for a long time is that I would just like complain, complain, complain. And at least that's what people would tell me, especially about my health. But at the same time, like, health is one thing, but like everything else of your your life is like, you know, another thing to complain about, complain about your friends, complain about food, complain about the weather. I mean, come on, something's got to be more interesting than that. So I try to listen to what people complain about and evaluate if what they're doing is working, especially if there's somebody that I love that would like trade places with in a lot of ways. So I don't know, it's just been definitely kind of interesting to look at, especially people in relationships, are they complaining about petty things? Or are they complaining about big real life things? And obviously, like, it's not their responsibility, or it's also not your responsibility as an individual to know what's going on with those relationships. But I just think about like, is that something that I want at this moment in time, right? In the future, maybe when I'm sad, but Right now I am building my fucking empire and nobody can get in my way and I'm probably going to stay that way until the right person comes along. Yeah.
1: I mean, I've seen your Instagram stories. It has to be someone really special to like fit into your crazy schedule.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's also like, how can I trust somebody when there's like a lot of stuff I don't share on the internet, obviously, like I'm very transparent. But of course, I'm still human. Like there's still things that people don't know about me. A lot of people ask me if I have a boyfriend, right? I could have a secret boyfriend that nobody knows about because, you know, we may just collectively decide it's not a good decision to mix business and work together. right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I did date a guy who was like social media and influencers suck. And I was like, what? Like everything was good about him, except for the fact that he didn't like my job. And it's like, if I didn't like that someone worked as an investment banker at uh, JP Morgan, I wouldn't not date them because of their job. I mean, what the hell? That was pretty annoying situation shit. But you know what? It's okay. He was not the one. I can confirm that.
1: <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Well, I mean, this is so fantastic. And I feel like you've been so transparent. You've shared so much. We've gotten two exclusives, which I'm so happy about. But before I let you go, I wanted to play a quick game. And it's basically headache or heartbreak. And so basically headache is like, okay, I'm dating this person. Everything else is amazing or normal, at least. But there's this one thing and I take note of it, but I'm willing to keep dating them. Heartbreak is like, I am cutting it off because this is a deal breaker. Okay. Okay. So the first one, like pretty standard, and I imagine you probably get this a lot because of your public persona. So they liked some of your Instagram photos from like 2021 before your first date. Uh,
0: like fine. Good. Good to go. Headache. Headache. Good. I would date them again.
1: Yeah. Okay. Does this like differ if they liked them but they haven't followed you?
0: No, <laughs> I think it's still fine, still good. good. in my book. I mean, that's fair. Also, to be honest, I'm probably not checking. Like, the, oftentimes, that's actually, true. You
1: probably have so many like
0: those kinds of people that do that tend to be people that. Well, now you're getting me in my head because sometimes I've had guys. I know this is supposed to be rapid fire. I've had them go and like my photos and be like, and follow me and be like, you didn't follow me back. Or like, I liked your photos. I checked your Instagram out. And usually then I know that they're just looking for clout and calm. Like, they're insecure after that. So it depends on what they do outside of just like, if they just like or they just follow and I don't see it and they don't really comment on it. Like, it's fine. But I'm not following a guy until like I really like him
1: honestly. I'm like that. Yeah, absolutely. I am the same way. And obviously my situation is very different, but yeah, I don't really like to kind of get to that level of like we're following each other and engaging on social media when it's casual and I don't know where it's going. Okay. So the next scenario, they follow your account from a private account. And let's say you get to the point where you're like, oh, I want to follow this guy back. And they're like, oh, we're not quite there yet. And I feel like this is an interesting one because it's like, they have access to your life, but then they're saying, Oh, I'm still not ready to share this portion of myself yet.
0: Um, goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Fair break. Goodbye. I mean, that's just not, that's obnoxious. Like it's just an Instagram profile. What are you hiding? Are you hiding an ex-girlfriend? If so, can we talk about it? I mean, it's embarrassing, it's embarrassing for them if they're that insecure that they won't share that part of your life, their life with you.
1: That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Red flag for many reasons. Yeah. Okay. So the next one, they slide into your DMS by commenting on how great your sports illustrated swimsuit photos looked.
0: Oh, this is a good one. Yeah. Heartbreak. I mean, it's very superficial. Like it's,
1: Yeah, like here for the wrong reasons. It's like, we don't want the guy who likes bikini pic on Hinge. You know, we want someone who like comments on something.
0: Yes, give it to me. But also like, hi, I'm a master's of science student in business design and technology. I'm fucking smart. I'm going to have two degrees in a year. I have my own business. Like Google my fucking name, period. Like I don't need a swimsuit photo of me in Sports Illustrated to tell me that I'm hot or for you to tell me that I'm hot I already know that come on come on dude gotta do better than that
1: yeah put some respect on her name you know
0: send me a voice memo and tell me how fucking amazing I am and then we'll
1: talk that's the kind of DM I want love that yeah raising the bar raise the bar yes okay so the last one so they say that they told their sister they were going on a date with you and she asked him to get an autograph for her
0: (laughs) I'm going to go with like, yes, headache. I think that's really adorable. And I've never experienced that. But if I did, and if I do, I will let you know because that that would actually really tickle my heart.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would be really sweet, actually.
0: Also, like the fact that they have a sister also shows me that they're like, probably a good human being. I think guys with sisters
1: are the best humans. It's so true. Like good familiar relationships with women, green flags all around. Green flags. Absolutely. Well, Gigi, this was amazing. And I would love if you could plug where my listeners can find you on all platforms.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was a great conversation. So fun. I know it was long. It was. (laughs) But I I did have, I had quite the chatty mouth today, but Y'all can find me at it's G.G. Robinson on any platform or uh, you can just Google my name, G.G. Robinson, ggrobinson.com com. I mean, very searchable. But yeah, and also like feel free to reach out, DM, like slide into my DMs if you have any chronic illness chronicles that you want to share with me. But yeah, that's that. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.